Every day I'm hustling, 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 hustling. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, hustling real hard, hustling real hard. Welcome to Cigar Hustlers Podcast with your host, Mike Stepankevich from Cigar Hustler in Deltona, Florida, and me, I'm Mike Palmer from Florida Cigar Club. Sit back, light up your cigar, everybody get ready, let's get hustling. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Mike also. And this is a Cigar Hustlers podcast. Today we have the super special, most amazing man, Mr. Nick Melillo. Great to be here. Nice pronunciation. <laughs> hey, Nick, what's going on, brother? Together you guys are Mike Squared. Mike Squared. Oh, M2. So, M to the dose power. And to the dose so Nick obviously owns a Foundation Cigar Company. If you haven't heard of him before, um, if you're getting if you're new to the cigar industry and you found this podcast, you know, kudos to you. Um, if you are a little more involved in the industry, you'll you know who Nick is. Nick is uh, he's a uh, one of the greatest blenders I think of of our generation. And um, I'll tell you a quick story about Nick before he, he's ready to he's ready to go, but. But I was going to say that was flattering. My uh, my <laughs> oh, head's getting big. That's, that's nice. Here, yeah. Everybody says that in the beginning, right. but not so much at the end. Right. Like, hey, fuck <laughs> you, man. This is the worst fucking podcast I've ever been on, and I'll never be back here again. So Nick walks into the shop, and he's like, hey, man, I smell Perique or something like that. And yeah. I don't know what the – I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought he was about? smelling like, paprika he's like, is what he said. It's like he smells a tobacco smell, like a pipe tobacco, something that's really aromatic. Well, on Saturday – now we're this is today's Monday when we did this recording. On Saturday, we there was somebody in the shop po- smoking pipe tobacco, um, so Nick could fucking smell the pipe tobacco. I was getting whiffs of it. Perique is actually a, a not much a it's not an aromatic as much. Okay, but um, there was something going on over there, which you is know? pretty crazy. So I mean my, that that kind of segues into a question. As far as public bathrooms are concerned, do you try and stay out of that? Because, I mean, what the hell does it smell like for you when you walk in? It's funny because I'm very, very particular about public bathrooms. I was thinking about an app uh-huh. where you could, and I somebody already came up with a, one, I think, where you could find the best public bathrooms. Oh, yeah, right. the one that rates the bathrooms. Yeah, you can yeah. rate them because, yeah, I have to... Uh, very aromatic. Unless it's, you know, top end, I got to be in the comfort of my own abode. I hear you. Yeah, I hear yeah. But hey, you know, life of a road warrior, sometimes that's uh, yeah. unavoidable. You know, I they, they, they use me uh, as a canine sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love tobacco, man. Right, for so sure. So whenever I smell, you know, I just grew up surrounded by it. So, you know, and pipes. So one of my grandfather's big pipe smoker. So I was, uh, you know, grew up with pipe tobacco, mm-hmm. and the other grandfather was a big Connecticut broadleaf cigar yeah. smoker. So, All right. you know, very nice. Congratulations, guys, on your your place here. It's looking nice. sharp. Yeah, a little, you know, little cleanup, making it a uh, nice, nice and respectable. Loving it. Um, what the? So. We're all kind of smoking shit at random. Um, you're gonna have to explain what I'm smoking, because I know that you said it to me what, what it was before. But what is it exactly? So it's called the Menelik. Okay. Uh, Menelik means actually the son of the wise man. He was oh. the son of Solomon um, in the story of Solomon and Sheba. Okay. Um, so I wanted to create a special cigar when I go and do events. I don't do many events, but. You know, those for purchase in boxes at events that I'm doing. I wanted to make a special blend for them. Um, so it's a four and a half by 52 soft box press. Has a little uh, pigtail there I call the man bun. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> San Andreas Mexican wrapper. Corojo Jalapa uh, from the north of Nicaragua binder. And then it's got some pretty heavy filler tobaccos from Esteli, Condega, and Jalapa. Well, it's pretty tasty, that's for sure. So it's, you know, it's it's rich. You got that body, the strength. Very nice. Hopefully it's not too overwhelming. I, I don't think so. I think you're doing all right. So it, yeah, you can handle it. 
We're part of the not fucking around crew, so you know that's all good. Um, that's you, a good crew. So you're smoking. Um, you're smoking. Hollow man. You got. Yeah, you got. I was impressed by this. Thanks, man. That's uh, so. I made a limited cigar back in the day when uh, when my second son was about to be born, and uh, I named it Apollo Danny. Um, it's an Ecuadorian Connecticut with a Pennsylvania binder, and then some Nika and, and a little more Pennsylvania in in the interior as well. Um, really well balanced. Thanks. Um, good strength, creamy, smooth. Um, I was I enjoyed it very much. Doesn't smell like a bathroom. Doesn't smell like a bathroom, <laughs> which, which is, is really nice. Just key. It's always a plus. So yeah, that was made out of the Nika Sueño factory with the you know my Roma fam, obviously. But I think you know a lot of that credit goes to them, right? So. I just had the no, thought. They got, I hear they got a, a great tobacco guy in that factory. Yeah, they got you know they they have, they have two actually great tobacco guys in that factory. But yeah, yeah, which ones? Uh, well, Esteban obviously and Skip. It's a it's a dangerous duo. It's a dangerous duo. They're like a tag team. They're like a tag team. And what are you smoking, Mister uh, Michael? I'm smoking the uh, the Wise Man Maduro. Ooh, it looks like, and it's a big one. It's I, a big one. You know, I it's a 56 soft box press. I'm not personally a big ring uh bigger ring gauge guy but had to do it for the big ring gauge it's guys. very good yeah very nice all right so this podcast yeah. is obviously more about not so much about the cigar as it is the person in the cigar industry and um how you kind of came to be who you are and you know your your journey and where you kind of envision yourself moving forward so if it's uh, if you don't mind sir uh tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started before man that's a loaded question dude i know um don't look at my notes. <laughs> I will try not to cheat. <laughs> look at those show prep. You know, I guess I started in the industry in 1996, mm-hmm. um, running a cigar shop in Connecticut called the Calabash mm-hmm. Shop. I worked for two amazing women in the industry, really? uh, Carol Velarde wow. and Mary Russo. They, Their husbands had actually started the shop in the 70s, mm-hmm. and then um, one was a roofer, one was a teacher. So leading up, they were doing both, and the ladies were helping run the store. As they came to the end of the 80s, it kind of became too much for you know the guys to, to really do both. And they were about to get rid of the store, and the lady said, you know, we're already running, pretty, running it pretty much. Mm-hmm. We'll take it over. They took it over, and then the 90s hit, and the cigar boom hit. Mm-hmm. So they just started killing it, and... Um, Largest pipe selection in Connecticut. I mean, incredible oh, pipe wow. selection. Um, my grandfather had had gotten many of a pipe there, and uh, pipe tobacco bar, walk-in humidor. You know, they had a lot of great relationships with uh, suppliers. So I used to go in there with my brother, and we had just gotten really into cigars. Of course, you know, my my grandfather smoking Connecticut broadleaf cigars. You know, it was just a kind of a staple in new haven there was a ton of cigar factories so kind of like you know grew up knowing about the cigar history in connecticut and connecticut wrappers you know Mm -hmm. if you know cigars um you know connecticut is a is a big name and um yeah man so just uh so that's where you started i started that's where i started is the shop still there today it's not they sold actually in 2004 2000 yeah, four or five, um, and then a couple other people bought it after that, and unfortunately, um, you know, they didn't do too well. Right. Cause they didn't really know the business, and, um, you know, some people get kind of fooled in this industry, as you guys know, you know, that people think everybody's just hanging out, smoking cigars all day. Really? Right? And there's not. Seriously, I had no idea. Know, well, that's, that's although that's a great part of it, <laughs> but, you know, as your brother's out there doing numbers, and, you, you know, there's so much to it and um i think people get a little bit fooled right um so it looks uh, a lot easier than it is it does it does and i wasn't in a position to to purchase i really wanted to purchase it um i just wasn't in the position at the time and um so it was kind of tough because that place um it was amazing you know I, i i really started to learn the industry they put their full confidence in my palate and my love for cigars so they put me in charge they weren't huge cigar smokers Mm -hmm. you know um although they would smoke you know now and then but they knew you know my love for cigars so they put me in charge of the humidor right away and bringing on new product and um so they became like my second mom so 
Both of them. Yeah, yeah. They were just. They were just. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Pretty much. You know, they were just awesome. They just uh, supported me and and um, you know gave me my first start in the industry. So that's awesome. You know, without them, uh, I probably wouldn't be here. So 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 you were there till about uh, the year two thousand, correct? Yeah. So two thousand, and then um, I came back in oh. Oh one mm-hmm. again, so I um, I graduated school. So when I started working in the shop, I started studying international business at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, okay. which was a smaller kind of private university. My mother worked there at the university, so I got a great deal on tuition. Thank God, <laughs> uh, thanks to her. Um, so whenever I wasn't in class, I was running the store, and I was studying international business. I knew. Um, you know, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to study, but international business caught me because I knew I wanted to travel. Right. Um, you know, growing up pretty small, small town in Connecticut, you know, I traveled probably the first time I traveled when I was like 13, 14. I went to Italy on a family trip. Mm-hmm. And that just sort of opened my, my world to realizing. It had to be a great trip at that age. It was awesome. It was awesome because. My father had forced me to take Latin in high school, which sucked. Nice. It did. I took that in high school, too. <laughs> Dude, it was, I mean, initially it sucked. It was like, you know, I wanted to take Spanish. Right. And, you know, there was a, a big push from grandparents, parents to be a lawyer. You know, the lawyer oh, no shit. or doctor. I couldn't see was, you as an attorney, just for the record. You know, I can make a good argument. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Yeah. No, and that just wasn't was for me. smoking earlier because I'm getting a little whiff of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, one of the greatest uh, stories I heard about an attorney, cigar smoking, sorry for the tangent, but is uh, an attorney, he used to put a metal rod when you could smoke in courtrooms through a church hill. And when the other lawyer was making his closing argument, he would light the cigar, and the ash would just become so long that the jury was so focused on the ash <laughs> falling the that they would not pay attention. <laughs> they're all, they're all just fascinated, waiting on it to fall yeah, off. Yeah, he he was it's uh, fall now. No, he was nice. he fall. was known for that. Um, but I just knew I wanted to travel, and <clears throat> excuse me, you know, and I just love cigars, so. I was just following my passion at that point. And um, so once I graduated, you know, I had saved up my money. Wasn't a huge uh, partier during school, didn't waste waste my money, mm-hmm. saved it up and knew I wanted to travel. So 2000, I moved to Italy. Um, oh, no shit. Yeah, in 2000, summer of 2000. And I started working for the Vatican, actually, doing some work. Um, that year was what they call the Jubilee so there was millions of pilgrims descending upon Rome. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up working for uh, the Vatican doing that. And then I ended up working for what they call a mensa in Italy, which was a soup kitchen, but also a place where it would help people get on their feet and get jobs. Right. Um, so it was to help people to integrate into society um so yeah so i did that and then backpacked around europe i did the whole euro rail tour that's pretty cool and i did it before the euro so i got to i got to do it pretty cheap that's cool that's great yeah which was awesome well not a lot of people in the cigar industry uh were tour guides of the vatican city so i mean that's that's pretty uh did you did you meet the pope when you were working for the vatican you know i didn't meet him Face to face, but we were actually this close. Was that oh, John uh, Paul at that time? John Paul, yeah, John Paul. yeah. I got to meet some pretty big wigs yeah, over there, cool. and uh, cool. yeah, interesting. <coughs> All right, so you got it, like so you have like a, a two or three year, I mean, sabbatical for the most point, and then you kind of get back into uh, the tobacco industry around two thousand and three, right? Correct. Yeah. So I ended up going back to work on my master's degree. Okay. Uh, then I was working the store again, um, and about a year doing my master's degree, I got a job offer from uh, a place called Italian Passage. It was a art renaissance history tour for high school kids. It was a college-level program mm-hmm. um, run by this, this girl from Dartmouth who had studied renaissance art history. A friend of mine went to school with her, and she needed help on the trip. And my friend couldn't go, so he he gave me the recommendation, and I did the interview and got the job. 
and said, I got I to gotta take this job. And then I said, I can't go back to school after this. And I bought an around-the-world ticket for 1500 bucks. No shit. So after the job ended, it was pretty much from May to September. And uh, I bought an around-the-world ticket from – I ended up traveling from Italy to Paris – actually lived in a Buddhist community outside of Bordeaux and <laughs> oh, a wow. vineyard for a while. Um, and then traveled from Paris to Mumbai, India. Was in India for a while, then Bangkok, Thailand. Then traveled overland because the ticket, depending on where you scheduled the, the departures from, mm -hmm. it would change the cost of the ticket. So my ticket went from Bangkok, and then the next flight was out of Beijing and China. Oh, no if shit. I added wow. a city, I mean, it changed the whole structure of the pricing. Right. So I had to travel overland from Bangkok to Beijing. So I traveled to the south of Thailand, then to the north, was in the jungle for a while, went down the Mekong River for two days, Jeez. into Laos, Laos into Vietnam, took a bus, that's from crazy shit. Crazy, is, isn't it? yeah. And then from Hanoi, I landed in Hanoi after a crazy bus ride where we got sold to another bus at the border of Vietnam. <laughs> we were we started the trip in a beautiful, you know, beautiful like uh, tour bus. Mm -hmm. You know, it was gorgeous. We were singing We Are the World. The guy was playing We Are the World. <laughs> he was playing Michael Jackson. It was unbelievable. We get to the border. The, the Vietnam border was crazy. It was foggy. You couldn't see, you know, 100 feet in front of you. Once we got across the border, they sold us to a tiny van. We were all like sardines in a can. No kidding. And you that, couldn't pass it up. You don't want to get stuck there at the border. We had no, yeah, choice. no choice. We had no choice. And I have some funny pictures from the bus of just people sleeping on, you know, my shoulder. And it was crazy. And then we get dropped off. And the outside of Hanoi, thinking we were going to be dropped off inside the city. Mm -hmm. We're like 45 minutes outside. So oh, then we had to shit. find our way into the center of Hanoi. I get there and I see signs all around the center of Hanoi of a fist cracking B-2 bombers that say USA. And I can just see, read 30, 30 that's all it said. Right. And I realized it was the 30th anniversary of what they called the American War. And I was like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> what the hell is a, going on? What a bad day to show up. Then I felt like it was the Twilight Zone because everybody was so nice. Right. But they're mainly young people, you know what I mean? That, But people were so nice um, and had a you know, good experience there. Crossing the street was in fucking sanity. Yeah. Um, you know, I had little old ladies that were dragging me across the street because you just go. You have tons of traffic just how you cross the street is you just go oh man like there's no lights there's no nothing right. you just have you to just, go just gotta go and i couldn't it was just so unnatural it was <laughs> yeah, so yeah. funny you got this like, little little the... lady holding like you know things on her shoulder she grabs me and just like, if you hesitate that's when you get, that's hit. When you get hit right um so so that was crazy so you know along this trip Jonathan Drew was on my email list. Okay. So that, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was traveling through all these crazy places. John was in some serious problems with quality control back mm -hmm. then and issues, and he was traveling a lot promoting the company and all this. So I think the the light went off. If this guy's coming out of the jungles of Thailand, you know, I would come out of the jungles <laughs> of Thailand and get, find an internet cafe and send, you know, like a mass email to right. people that wanted to know about my travels. And John was on, on the list. So it sort of. Uh, so he said, if this guy's coming out of. So I came to, I got to Japan right. after Beijing. I was in Osaka um, and Japan. And I got a one sentence email from John that said call me i obviously have some serious shit to talk to you about that was it that was the that was the email so i called him up yeah what's up man how's it going what are, what are your plans we had kind of talked when i was in europe starting my travels he was like you know give me a call when you're coming around the world um so he just started going off mm -hmm. you know how john kind of gets in this 
zone of man. I want you to come down. You're gonna be my right hand man. You're gonna have this. You're gonna have a car. You're gonna and he's you know going off. And I had been planning my next trip was to rent a bike mm-hmm. um, and travel through Central America because I my dream was to learn how to roll and bunch cigars. Right. Like that that was like the next step for me. I had actually been on a trip in 2000 one to the Camacho uh, tour at that time. That was like one of the first trips where people actually would take trips down to Central Cigar Factories. Pre-Cigar Safari days. Correct, yeah. And that that was, that trip was Christian, he had people over to his house and similar, you know. Right. uh, The real, at that time he had a monkey down there, so it was like a safari. A monkey? Dude, the monkey was crazy. Stay away from the monkey. <laughs> Stay away from monkey. Monkeys are so strong. People don't understand how strong monkeys are. <laughs> I don't mess around with monkeys. Um, that's a whole nother story. I got monkey stories. Uh, um, so that was my dream. You know, the next step was, you know, I knew I wanted to get into, you know, blending and stuff. So the, the stars are just aligning at that point. You right. know, it just sort of... Oh, you know, I was coming around the world, didn't have much money in my pockets. Um, so I said, all right, John, I'm, you know, let's do this. Uh, he wanted me to come down and check it out. So I actually flew back to San Francisco in February 2003. I landed in San Francisco the day before the Iraq war protests. Mm-hmm. There was like 200,000 people in the street. Mm-hmm. So I land Jeez. and then... That was my, you know, in, intro back into the states, and all I was trying to do was find a bookstore to find a book about Nicaragua because oh, I, I knew, you know, I knew some things about Nicaragua, but you know, now I'm I'm potentially going to live here, and um, there was no Lonely Planets, there mm-hmm. was not much on Nicaragua. There was a book called The Moon Travel Guide by a gentleman named Joshua Berman, who actually this year is is writing the book again. Um, but he did Peace Corps in Nicaragua, and that book became my Bible. Okay. Um, yeah. Years later, I ended up becoming really good friends with Josh Berman. He's a uh, Josh Berman. He's a great uh, expert on on Nicaraguan travel. Oh, so wow. you know, like Travel Channel, different people contact him as a fixer when they're doing shoots down there and and whatnot. He got me on the Travel Channel, eating street food in Nicaragua. Uh, oh, no about Four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's they air it sometimes. It's just me stuffing my face. So it's not any uh, anything special. That's fantastic. So um, so yeah. So I uh, flew down. So I was in the states for a month after being out of the country for a year, and um, flew down to Nicaragua in March of two thousand three, and you know I was down there for a week with John, and we. He was working out of the back of Nick Perdomo's old factory, you know, which was basically a house mm-hmm. um, that the back was kicked out with some rolling tables. And um, John said, "You want, you know, you want the job?" And I said, "Yeah, let's do this." And then the next week, John said, "I'm out. See you and, later." And yeah. I was like, well, you're, "You're in charge." Much. I was you're very you're confused because I, I, you know, I thought being her, his right hand man, I would actually be working around with him, him. Right. Yeah. right and uh, be showing you what to do he said you you know i know you'll figure it out right and i said all right let's do this so man i didn't leave nicaragua for a while after that for my first first trip so i was uh i was i was living the dream man it was uh sounds like yeah so yeah. You, you were an integral part of the come up and then the development of Drew Estate to what it became, um, you know, in like, I don't know, a few years ago, and then kind of what it turned into, obviously, after you left. But um, I do remember you telling us some stories about, so I didn't know that it started out of the, uh, the back of a house, which seems to be the um, the design for any successful cigar factory, is you start off small, and obviously, you know, you don't, you don't get ahead of yourself, um, and you kind of start to develop. Um, I do remember you telling me stories about how you would kind of successfully manage um, products as well as development of the cigars, and they're all in different locations. Um, talk a little bit about that, if, if you will. Yeah, so, I mean, at the time, we were working out of one building. So there was the production building, mm-hmm. then there was another uh, 
uh, house, which was the packaging because mm-hmm. we couldn't fit everything in one building. Right. Um, and then there was another small little warehouse to hold packaging materials and whatnot. And, um, you know, it was great because here I am now able to put my two passions that I've spent the past five years studying international business and loving cigars into into real life. And, you know, it's very much wanted to prove myself and, you know, show myself, first of all, that I could do this. Um, and also, of course, you know, John and the rest of the team. I didn't meet anybody else from the team, though. They mm-hmm. all thought John was crazy because they didn't meet me. You know, I remember. No, they, they, they just threw this guy in out of the jungle. Yeah, yeah I remember, you know. Now he's in charge. Nick's handling that. Who the hell is Nick? <laughs> Correct. And, <laughs> and you know, I found on the Internet in, in the jungle. <laughs> One of John's coworkers at the time when we, you know, picked, picked me up and turns around is looking at me and just staring at me and I'm going what's what's going on and she goes uh, I you're you're really kind of normal like <laughs> I thought you were gonna be I thought you were gonna be insane like we had no idea who John was bringing down here like so you know but I just wearing a palm hat and, and yeah, dressing in grass you know John's a character so yeah, you don't know like, what you're getting you know you know he's uh, extremely creative and uh so yeah nobody nobody knew and you know it's a big i can understand that from a team standpoint you know right. from the state side but again this was something nobody it's difficult you know you're in nicaragua 2003 you know it's not like it is it's come a long way right. now you know we have the cigar fest uh puro sabor coming up right you know in 2003 i was really besides peace corps workers the only Gringo in right. the north of Nicaragua. <laughs> I mean, this was a Sandinista stronghold, and you know there was so much negativity about just you know Iran Contra Sandinistas, all this stuff. So, you know, to get people to go down there and live there, you know, geez, I mean, <laughs> that was you know. But here I am, you know. Did I, you speak I just, Spanish at the time? I was going to ask him. I, I spoke Italian. Okay. So I didn't even speak fluently Spanish. I knew kind of basics. Right. So right away I was in Spanish class every morning at 7 a.m. And then the uh, GM of the factory, who's the same age as me at the time, I was 24. Okay. Um, the team was all young. They were all the same age. I think the main accountant was the oldest person at the time, and he was probably 35 at the time, um, maybe even a little younger. Um, so he spoke, the GM spoke a little bit of English, probably about as much as I spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a process. But, you right. know, you can speak Italian and sort of get it and p- communicate. Last time I was in Italy, I spoke Spanish and got away with it. But right. I, I, caught, I picked it up. Yeah. I, I picked it up and started to really immerse myself, started to learn, you know, the production process um, pre-industry process. There wasn't much, you know, planning and organization going on at right. the time. So I really started. Orga- eventually, at first, it was just pure observation. Right. Um, for months, you know, of each each area, and then um, you know the company started to grow. So you know the guys would call me up from the states, and me and the GM would be on the phone. They said we need more, you know, production. We mm-hmm. need more. So we'd be knocking down walls. Right renting out other buildings um and we had buildings all throughout town right um which became an operational challenge imagine the logistics probably had to be crazy it was insane especially you're dealing with a product that you know needs property humidity levels and this and that so you know and then quality control was a big step Mm -hmm. because i i felt i felt responsible for everything at that point and you know i was the the guy from the states I felt, you know, John's right-hand man. I took on the responsibility of everything. Right. And, you know, being a foreigner in another country, it's very different traveling through a country than living in a country. Um, so, you know, you're always really working to, to an extent, you know, right. even when you're, you know, people see you as a representation. Right. Of, no matter uh, where you go, you're yeah. the Drew Estate guy. People think I'm John to this day. They'll, you'll see, hear people when I'm down there. Hey, you know, they think I'm because, oh, shit. you know, I was the guy down there right. all the time. So, you know, they think I was I was the owner. But, um, yeah, man. And then, 
you know, the company was making pretty much infused cigars at the time. I was not an infused cigar smoker by mm -hmm. any means. I was uh, a hardcore traditionalist personally. Working in a cigar store, I understood the role of infused cigars and respected it. And, um, you know, I tell, always tell people, I'm not here to, t I can't tell people what they, sh if you enjoy something, you right. enjoy it. You right. Enjoy I it. mean, how, how am I to tell you what you should be enjoying or right. not? Um, more power to you. So, so before yeah. you, before we jump too far ahead, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to bring you back in. Um, the the so you started off as an observer. You you know you observed what, how this the product was being made, how how um, raw materials were being handled. Eventually, you started implementing systems into that business, right? Do you remember when you started to implement the systems? What the average percent of um, cigars with issues was or I don't know what the, the exact term you would use for fail rate like that. yeah before I got there or before when I got there well I would I mean if you knew the number before you got there so I'll, I'll tell you a story because John has talked about this on you know YouTube videos and on cigar safaris you know what I didn't realize at the time was about eight months before I got on board six six months before I got on board John was traveling promoting the company he was out of Nicaragua for a while mm -hmm. he came back and they had made a lot of cigars that were unsmokable right and tight you know one of the quality control steps on the production floor is weight right you know so if you overpack or you know humidity levels of the fillers have to be at a certain humidity Otherwise, if they're too moist, you're going to end up putting too many fillers in. The weights are going to be off, mm -hmm. and then you're going to have tight cigars. So the guy in the production floor at that time that was the head completely fucked up everything. Right. And there was, like, close to a million sticks that were unsmokable. <laughs> big number. So I came into this not really realizing it at first until, like, my first month on the production floor. Um there was a room off the back and guys were reviewing you know there was crates of cigars all around and guys were reviewing i'm going what's wrong with the the guys going doodle doodle tight right tight. and this and i go what's wrong with this doodle what's wrong he said no todo el cuarto the whole room right and i was like holy shit man this is this is insanity mm -hmm. how does this happen and then, you know, I, I learned how something like this could happen. And then I made it 110% sure that this would never happen. Right. Ever again. So I started adding quality control filters. I really started developing the quality control team, mm -hmm. understanding how important that key experience people, you know, in quality control was so crucial. Um you know, one issue which happens sometimes in Nicaragua is people don't want to tell you when things are wrong. Right. You know, or we, we say pescados. You know, a fish is slippery when wet out of water. Tough right. to hold on to. These are people that kind of skirt around. So I worked really close with the GM at the time to really ch change this culture to make sure that we respect people that tell us the truth, the truth and what problems are. Everybody makes mistakes. It's all about solutions and moving forward right. um, and working as a team. So I started implementing, you know, a step of quality control team at the, you know, we work, work in pairs, right? right? You have the the bunchers that are doing the filler and then the wrappers. And how many pairs do you think you had at that time? Man, uh, not many. I mean, right. well, I mean, it was still a decent amount. We were probably doing like, you know, still at that time, like 5,000 sticks a day. That's which is a pretty big number, pretty decent number. But you know, I left in 2014 at 105,000 cigars a day. Right. Wow. So yeah, so that was a, a that was, was a, a big, big step jump. But um, I ended up putting quality control teams, you know, at the bunching stage. There was no draw testers. Um, you know, John didn't believe in draw testers at the time. Of course, I didn't believe it because of the technique was being done properly right and you no had to, and there's no need for it i mean it's just a, another you know a potential crutch and it was funny because i had been smoking cigars from a lot of people that were using draw testers and i had draw problems on some of these cigars right. so bunch a quality control team 
reviewing the style and technique of how the cigars are bunched is the key. Right. You know, for 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 me and the focus, and especially being the wrapper being very expensive. Right. You want to try to catch any inferior problems you can before that wrapper gets onto the cigar. Right. So that became a the root for me of really focusing in on quality control. Fixing that issue. And instead of just reviewing them when they come off the floor at the end of right, the process, yeah, let's start at the root of the state. So eventually, you know, my, you know, under my watch, the rejection rate was like 2.2 right. 2 to 2.5%, right. which is phenomenal. That's good. Yeah, um, that's great. And a lot of places, I think, they end up using seconds we never really did seconds right? right they'll have a rejection rate nine you know maybe ten percent because then they can use the seconds whereas we didn't we didn't really do that so so, so to kind of paint a picture for for people yeah. you're talking about a million sticks that are plugged at a rate of five thousand sticks a day you're talking about almost seven months worth of work rough right. math yeah so that's yeah. you know so it's a lot of sticks. That <laughs> so what happened to those sticks? Is it, they just got destroyed? They, they had to be yeah used for short filler and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You try to recoup what you what you can, and uh, but amazingly, you know, the company was was just you know they caught it early, whereas right. a lot of that didn't get into the market, and um, you know, recouped from it, and um, yeah, we just from from that point on, we just really started growing. You know, tremendously. So. so under your watch, at 100,000 sticks a day, you had 2.5% rejection rate. Two, it depends on – we trained a lot of people. You know, uh, I ended up training to get to that point. Right. You know, you can imagine going from five to 10,000 to 20,000 sticks mm -hmm. to 30 – I mean, just saying it doesn't even become to, to do any justice right. to what that process really entailed. That entailed – you know, every waking hour of my life and a lot of weekends and nights, um, you know, being a stickler of quality control. But we had to, you know, because you, it's a small town. Mm -hmm. You don't want to start, you know, stealing people from other places. So we had to train a lot of people. Right. Um, so when you have that process, your 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 quality control, you know, your level of rejection is going to go up. Of course, right. Um, but on an average, it was like, you know, 2.2, 2.5. Uh, it was ridiculous. You know, which is, yeah, which is ridiculous. So, and, so, you know, the market felt, the market shows because then, you know, the growth of the products is, is just, you know, on point. Right. And from whatever you got from, you know, whether it be infused or not infused, everything was just always on point. Right. You know, which is key because, uh, you know, I'm a cigar smoker. So the last thing I want is to have a problem. Right, right, you know? exactly. So, um, so you're also a bit of an entrepreneur, not only in the cigar industry, but you you have a, a couple other hobbies as well. Um, first of all, you live in Esteli. Well, how 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 long a year? So now this has actually been the longest I've been out of Esteli in like 14 years. Yeah. Um, how long have you been out? After starting, been like three months. Wow. Yeah. And you finally yeah. made it here. Finally, <laughs> finally, 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 finally. Wow. You know, we got our office in Connecticut set up, so right. we're trying to get that organized, and we're on a 50-acre tobacco farm in Connecticut. So so we have a bit of a running joke. Uh -oh. um, we drop a, we drop a, I like to drop a hashtag whenever I'm smoking a, uh, a foundation cigar company cigar called hashtag let's hang out. Now, um, Nick is, uh, is infamous in... Shooting the ghost, as a, as as a lot of people like to say, is that the expression? <laughs> yes, exactly. I like that. Shooting the ghost. So you know, that's the first time I've heard that. No, no shit. Yeah. Okay. So you know, literally, what'll happen is if I run into Nick, Nick will always say, "Hey, what's going on, man?" And you know, he's going a million miles a minute. There's always something going on, and um, he's like, "Hey, you know, let's hang out later. We're gonna let's hang out. We're you know, what are you doing? We'll, we'll hang out. We'll hang out." I'm like, okay. So like, it took <laughs> two or three times for me to finally figure it the fuck out. That we're not hanging out, <laughs> you know. There's obvious. It's just not gonna happen. There's obviously other stuff going on, and you know he's a busy guy. But his intentions are always good. He wants to hang out. But I do. You know, I do. I really know, do. At the end of the day, you can only do so much in a day. So um, he always ends it with, "Hey, let's hang out." And I go, "I'm yeah, learning. Yeah. I'm learning." I'm like, hey, "Yeah, that's right. Let's hang out." So um, 
hashtag Let's Hang Out. I, I hope it uh, develops its, its its own term and, and kind of grows into into something fantastic for you, sir. We're ruining it right now because we are hanging out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, It'll start over again tomorrow. Yeah, don't worry. You know, I'm sure that we'll run run into each other again, and uh, you won't hang out. So I'm not I'm not really sweating it. You know, with your empty threats. It's only it out. only took two years. <laughs> <laughs> um. So getting back to you being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, um, you actually own a, a hotel in Esteli. Is that correct? Hotel Puro Esteli. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I like how you got you know a little darker voice, a little more. Hotel yeah, Puro Esteli. Esteli. Great, didn't it? That's nice. El Hotel del Norte. <laughs> El mejor hotel del norte <laughs> de Nicaragua. Yeah. So uh, how long have you owned that? Man, I think it's like five years now. No shit. So oh, two wow. of my buddies from Esteli were um, starting it up, and uh, they brought me in and said, you know, maybe you could add something to the travelers kind of. Right. Um, which, you know, I tried to here and there. Um, fortunately, starting found a cigar company takes up a lot of my time. So mm-hmm. I actually got a, a wonderful person uh, running the place now. She actually, Juanita is her name. She owns um, a hostel up the street called Cafe Luna. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, she's got a great bar and restaurant called Cafe Luz, um, which is a block up the street. So she's been running it um, for the past year and a half now. Very nice. Yeah. And she's been doing a fantastic, fantastic job. So what's your rejection rate at the hotel? No, it's 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 much higher than that. You know, it's it's great. It's it's for me. It's like a step up from say your your typical hostel. Right. Sometimes hostels, you know, for backpackers because the north has more of that off the beaten path. Right. You know, whereas the south of Nicaragua, you have more of the beaches, the surfing, Mm -hmm. going on. In the north, you know, you have more of. you know, nature reserves and right. some zip lining, and you know, Esteli's a pretty cool town just to hang out. But um, you know, so our place, private bathrooms. You know, you got internet, you got TV, no air conditioning, uh, but you got fans. So it's like a, it's like a step up from right. your typical uh, youth hostel kind of deal. Yeah, so. I mean, I think a lot of people don't really understand the actual demographic of Esteli and um, yeah, and what it actually entails. So you know, you people, know, you're you're talking about it, and people are like, "What the hell? No AC?" You know. Yeah. Um, now it's nice because you know, I love the north of Nicaragua because it's so much cooler. Right. You know, Managua is, gets great. Now it's beautiful. Right. I heard they got down to like the low 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Which you saw that the other day. You Skip, know. Skip was talking it up on Facebook. Oh, was he? He had to yeah. put long pants on. It's like chilly. Chilly. had to get the long pants. 65 degrees. I love Adidas jackets, so it's perfect. I That's nice. Wear That's my nice. Adidas jackets. <laughs> um, so there are a couple things that I didn't know about you, um, and maybe you can shed some light on it um what the hell is you're the executive producer of sex god and rock and roll you know yeah that show unfortunately yeah so that was through a friend um this gentleman by the name of Stuart davis uh-huh. which is kind of a uh, he's an interesting musician slash uh kind of tv personality okay developed a show called sex god and rock and roll so it was co- sort of like a daily show premise um, for you know, sex, sex god, god, and rock, rock and roll. roll. Huh. Um, and it was it was on. Um, you know, it was on for a little bit. Unfortunately, it didn't it didn't take off. But I I got to help out with the show and uh, be you know grab a fancy title. So it was That's pretty nice. cool. Yeah. Okay. You know, I like to be involved with creative creative projects. Right. You know where I can like a podcast, which is a podcast <laughs> I love, man. Yeah. This is great. Um, these mics are pretty badass. They're, they're, they're stage two of the mics. Yes. Stage one of the mics was pretty bad, and but, you know, we're getting there. Yeah. You know, taking baby steps. It's just a, it's a labor of love for us, so. It's cool. It's not something that we make money on. It's something that we like to do. Dude, it's fun. Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're having a good time with it. You what do you think? Yeah, it, it, it's fun. I'm trying to learn how to do all this uh, garage band and editing stuff. But it's oh cool yeah, up. yeah. I get yeah. into that. Sometimes. I mean, we're gonna twist your words around totally when we're done here. I can't wait. Yeah, to you see won't know what you're saying. Yeah, it's you gonna like be that. great. It's gonna be fantastic. 
So what about this clothing line that I uh, that I've heard about as well? Jamaica never forsake you, you know. Yeah, something like that. So that was something a no, no vowels. That's kind of how you know my art director for Foundation Cigar Company is from Esteli. Mm-hmm. Amazing, talented artist. His name is Alex Garcia. His street name is Thief Operandi. Very nice. Nice. <laughs> Serious. Oh, I business. need a street name. I want a street name. But Thief has been um, a graffiti artist and artist, you know, since the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of it, you know, Esteli was always a big art and poet. Nicaragua has always been known as the land of the rebels and poets. Mm-hmm. Um, so you used to have, you still have a lot of mural art, um, traditional mural style um, art there. And then in the 90s, you know, Thief really started with the graffiti and a friend of his also, uh, Mez. And then you had, um, you know, Drew Estate then started popping through the scene and mm-hmm. really kind of put, you know, art, that kind of more graffiti style on the map using it and their stuff. But Thief's been there for, for a long time. And we actually worked together on this clothing project um, called Jamaica, which is a play on words. Um, so it was an organic clothing line um, that sort of kept me sane over the years. Um, sort of, you know, through doing cigars and, you know, all the time just being cigar, cigar, cigars. I was like, let me do something creative. I love reggae music. You know, he loves reggae music. He loves art. So we started making, you know, a nice little clothing line and, uh, you know. Just sort of like a little, so little side project. Are they still in production or what? Yeah, we do them, but we do them pretty like limited editions style I, stuff. I never see you wearing any of this shit. Oh, Come I on, got, man. I, I sh- I'll hook you up, man, if you yeah. want some. Absolutely. I'll send you a little oh, shipment. Yeah. Uh, is this going to be like hashtag let's hang out? Like <laughs> most definitely. So, most so, definitely. so it's never going to come. Just, no, just send I got me a, a picture. Bunch. Of I shit. actually, yeah, I'll hook you up. You, you got to remind I, me though. How are you not out promoting this, these things, man? Dude, I tell you, man, Foundation Cigar Company. It's. Takes up a lot of your time. I got you. Been eating, breathing, sleeping. Put on, just put on a shirt, and then somebody said, "What the hell's that?" That's true. I've been wearing it. I wore it um, all last week. I was actually, actually, the beginning of the month. I was in. Um, I flew down last second to Miami for Art Basel, mm-hmm. and I was rocking it out there. Oh, all right, cool. But I got a great shirt called Roots Music. Yeah. I'll show it to you. It's a great. Everybody, that design does killer for us. Yeah. Yeah. Very so. cool. All right, so you want to talk a little bit about the High Clare Castle, um, the the story behind it, because it's uh, kind of unique in itself. I think that it's a it's a fantastic Ecuadorian Connecticut, or it's not Ecuadorian, it's it's, mm. it's Ecuadorian, it's Ecuadorian yeah, Connecticut, yeah, yeah. Brazilian Matafina binder. Yeah, love that Brazilian Matafina. And then what Nika fillers? So we got some uh, fillers from Ometepe. Okay, as you know, uh, you know volcanic mm-hmm. islands in Lake Nicaragua, awesome. You know, this is why Nicaragua is so. You know, popular and grows such great tobacco. Most active volcanoes in Central America. Um, so, Ometepe is a special place, being a volcanic island. Uh, we use a hybridized seed, actually grown in Esteli on a farm called Soledad. It's a Corojo Criollo cross mm-hmm. seed um, that AJ actually grows. So, you get like that sweet and spicy kind of in one leaf. Right. Um, then we got some tobacco from. Um, a little bit from Condega, and there's a little like bit from Condega. Jalapa. So, um, yeah, he, uh, a good friend of mine, um, Adam Van Gutkin, which mm-hmm. is a great name, uh, owns a distillery in Connecticut called Onyx Moonshine. Mm-hmm. Adam and I actually became friends through a retailer in Connecticut uh, called Mickey Blake's. Um, uh, one of the retailers there, Lou, actually... Um, introduced us and we became good friends you know over the past three years mm-hmm. and um he became good friends him and his wife with lord carnarvon from high Clare castle adam is one of those amazing just outgoing entrepreneurs um that you know he just pretty much went to the castle and happened to run into lord carnarvon and they hit it He's off knock on the door Pretty much. Hello. I mean, that's Lord you know, that's Carnarvon, the style that, that he does. You know, right. it's like people that, you know, not afraid to. to it's highly that, effective. It's so effective, and there's there's some, you know, it's possible. You know, right. all these things are possible. I think that's where people close themselves off a lot of times. Right, because like, they don't think about it. You don't. If you don't think about it and have the idea, then it can never manifest into reality. Right. So um, Adam's one of those guys, and he um, became really good friends with them. And so Highclere Castle. Um, 
you know, Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. um, really infamous. It was actually the same architect that actually designed Parliament Building, so it's very similar in style. Um, Five thousand acre estate. They became such good friends that they're working on a whiskey um, and gin no shit. Uh, project. So that's in the works. A lot of the ingredients are being grown on the estate at oh, Highclere wow. Castle. Lord Carnarvon is very much into agriculture and really down to earth. Um, amazing, amazing guy. Um, he's really, him and his wife have done amazing things for the castle. Um, you know, because coming in, it, it's expensive. Right. To run a castle, so uh, man, you know, it's got to be crazy. Upkeep is is crazy. So I think Downton Abbey really helped, you know, keep things. Of course, you know, there's paintings there that are priceless right. that you could sell and keep, but you don't want to be that. You know, there's yeah. right. it's been in the family for so long, and there's such history. So Adam said, you know, to Lord Carnarvon, you you have to meet Nick. You know, his passion for cigars is. Same as, you know, what we're doing in, in the liquor. We we met and hit it off. Um, and I invited him down to, to Nicaragua, invited Adam. And once he saw the process from seed to smoke, I mean, he had never seen it personally. Even though there's the history of cigar smoking in Highclere Castle goes back to the early 1800s. Um, you know, he fell in love and they tapped me to, to do a blend for for the for the castle and to uh foundation global distributors and Very national nice. distributors so cool. you know i started geeking out once i learned about the history you know there and got to talk with the archivist and they on the high clear castle cigar website we actually started posting some of the documents and receipts from his great-grandfather great um, his grandfather discovered king tut's tomb that's neat that's pretty cool smoked a cigar in celebration i mean that kind of (laughs) stuff you know but that's what they would do that was the tradition it was always after supper you know you go to the smoking room um or the library and and you enjoy a cigar so um i really got to see those documents and use that as the inspiration for the line um and it's just kind of surreal. So right. Well, really. I think it's a ridiculously good cigar, and I hate you for making it because it's <laughs> fucking awesome. I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a, know. it's an you know, like you said, similar. It's got you want the you know the flavor, you know, right. body strength, Connecticut shade. You know, I tell tell guys, have you ever smoked a uh, Maduro cigar with a Connecticut shade wrapper? Right. And that's kind of what because that's what that Matafina really helps you know to buffer the strength right so you're able to use some of the filler tobaccos right. same like with the pennsylvania because i think that the connecticut shade is so thin you know when you start using heavier filler tobaccos if you don't have a binder to help buffer it it just comes too aggressive mm-hmm. so then people use much lower priming you know fillers and then it becomes just a super mild right cigar so you have to you want to make something that's universal, right? So it's acceptable from a guy who doesn't smoke on the regular and a guy who smokes all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think you definitely fucking nailed it with that stick. I really do really like it. And yeah. like I said, I hate you for it because I smoke it and we kind every of day or every other day. This nice, morning. yeah. I see the let's, let's hang out. Yeah, hashtag let's hang out. Yeah. Hashtag let's hang out. Yeah. Which is great because, you know, when I made the blends, I actually got down to seven blends. And mm-hmm. then when Lord Carnarvon, Adam, we were all smoking... Everybody, we all chose the same blend, so it was kind of like, 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 I like, I like for me being a hard, harder core guy, like right. you're saying, it worked. You know, so. that's fantastic. All right, so we do have a, you know, three questions that we like to ask um, all of, all of our. <laughs> this is where you don't like us. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get to that, I do want to ask you one question. I've heard you answer this question before. However, I haven't heard the updated answer as of right now. Um, when the fuck are you gonna own your own factory, man? What what the fuck? In due time. Don't give me this bullshit FDA yada yada. You know. You know. Um, I couldn't right now. Um, just my experience for the past fourteen years has been on the production blending tobacco side. Right. You know, so I haven't had that time with retail. You know, the only time I'd see retailers is at the IPCPR every year. Right. Or if people came down on trips but even when people came down on trips i was busy running a factory i didn't i didn't have the time to you know hang out and right. uh <laughs> you know, run run the factory so 
it was very important for me to you know to hire my own um, quality control guys that work for me and to work with partners that I would feel comfortable with mm -hmm. being out of Nicaragua because I knew I would have to travel more you know stateside so um, for the beginning I think it was where especially with all this FDA coming down at that time right it was like no, no it made sense yeah. before but you know trust me it's difficult right not because that's my you know that's just but my my partners were able to do I I couldn't do a situation with production if it wasn't right right and so you know Topsa Eduardo I get full you know I get the doors are open right you know and they know I know the process right you know they know so I'm able to go in there and you know access the tobaccos that I need select everything that I need and the, the same thing with AJ you know what I mean? So it's it's basically like I have factories within factories. So I get kind of the best of of all worlds. Right. But yeah. one day I would I would love to have have like a factory. One day. Jesus Christ. I don't know if I can give us a straight answer. And I, I got the whole plan <laughs> for it. No, there's no formal date. I mean, I have no, but I got the plan cuz I know exactly I mean, the factory is going to be badass. Right. All right. Whatever. Let's get this exemption. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. All right. All right, ready for the questions? We're going to hit you. I don't know. These things are tough sometimes. They All are. Right. People get tough questions. Question number one. What one person, living or dead, would you like to have a cigar with? You know, I it would have to be... Um, so my father's father, my grandfather, yeah. he was the Connecticut broadleaf smoker. My other grandfather, who's still alive, he's 92 right now. He's the pipe. His main was like pipe, but he was a cigar smoker too. Mm -hmm. But I never got to smoke a cigar with my, my grandfather on my dad's side. And he's the one we used to drive around in his silver caddy. He used to take my brother and I to Mr. Steak. And Mr. Steak, when you checked out, you had the glass case with cigars. And he would buy his Connecticut broadleaf cigars. And I get a, you know, one of those bubblegum cigars, which is probably illegal now or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, you'd walk out of there like a million bucks. But he never got to see me working in the shop right, or, right. you know, working in the comp, you know, starting my own company and all that. So that would just be awesome. Right. That would yeah. just be killer. Great answer. So. Great answer. Yes. Okay. Next question. Best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? God, see this, this this is the kind of question. You know, best pieces, uh, best piece of advice, everybody. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah, that that's nice. sort of what I live my life on. So, who gave you that advice? Um, that was my other grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. The one still. My grandfather. You know, when I started smoking cigars, it was with my grandfather, who's still alive. Um, so he's ninety-two. He so, still smoke. He does, yeah, yeah. He Love loves that. he I loves love the that. Wednesday Lancero. Yeah, he loves Lanceros. Okay, he's a Lancero fanatic. Um, yeah, imagine he's been smoking cigars since World War Two. Right. Wow. You know, I have documents from my other grandfather. He smoked. Uh, he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Okay. No of sending letters home for his cigars. So, oh, like shit. it said, oh, you know, wow, cool. Yeah, Connecticut cigars. It's gotta so. be difficult to get them back, though. You know, it's like okay. I mean, shit. What do you mean? Yeah, how, how do you find him? Yeah, exactly. During He's the on the beach the somewhere. Yeah. Well, no, his family would send him out there. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but wasn't still. it difficult to achieve, to get? I mean, you know, yeah, obviously yeah, forever. Modern times now. It's well, he was traveling through like Belgium. France, I mean, it was before the Battle of the Bulge. But I have all these like facsimile. I don't know what the form of communication was, but they're all like, I got tons of them. No of shit. Sheet. Yeah. I don't know what it like was. Like telegraphs. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The, uh, dee -dee 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 so they didn't FaceTime back then? No FaceTime, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, unfortunately. But, you know, but that's what I started, you know, when my other grandfather was smoking cigars. And so it was a big, you know, influence for my brother and I to be able to sit down and have a cigar, you right. know, and learn about, you know, World War II and just old stories. So it had a dramatic effect on, right. on, on me and... You know, and my brother. We're getting a telegraph, and we're getting. What to say? <laughs> Send cigars. Send the Connecticut cigar. Send the Connecticut. I'm in Belgium. Hope this all week. is well. Imagine. Send cigars. I have a dollar bill from him that has every place that he's 
he went to, he wrote, and the date of where he was in World War II. Oh, wow, that's cool. And it's a silver, it says silver certificate, uh, exchangeable upon demand to the bearer. That's when you can trade in dollars and get silver. But it has Belgium, France, and I have his photo album that is, it's incredible. What about about medals? Did he have any medals? Medals, um, I don't think I have any medals. My other grandfather does. Yeah. My other grandfather that's alive fought in Okinawa. And that's kind of a big deal. I have his, so he used to do a lot of hunting. One night, this was years ago, four years ago, I said, you know, Pop, what happened to your, your guns and you have any guns left? He said, you know, I sold most of them. I only have a couple guns left. And one of them is very special. And he brings out of his room uh, a leather case, opens it up, and there's a Japanese uh, signature on the inside. It was a Walter PPK. Oh shit! That he had fought. He knew that uh, Japanese field marshals had sidearms and mm-hmm. swords, and he didn't have a sidearm. So he stalked one of the Japanese uh, field marshals and and got the sidearm off. No him. shit! And he when he was sleeping, or he got gave it to <laughs> no, him? No, 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 no. He took him out. Unfortunately, you know, he took him out and and slept with it by his bedside ever since. So crazy shit. That is crazy. crazy. Shit. That is cool. Yeah. All right, last question. What's your favorite cigar? That's, that's not yours. Oh, snap. That's not mine? You can't tell them that. You got oh, to let them suffer yeah, a little yeah, bit first. Yeah. God. Uh, Dude, that's not mine. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um, I don't know, man. That's tough. I like... S- so let me ask you. There's, there's so many good cigars out there. Yeah. yeah we you know that. what I mean? We understand that. You're not getting off the hook. Either. I'm going to tell you, I mean, uh, Padron's always been one of my favorites, of man. Course. Uh, Padron, uh, the 1964. Yeah. You know, I haven't Maduro smoked. Maduro or natural? Maduro. Torp? Or? Maduro. Um, I would smoke the, uh, the uh, what was it? It was like the Toro size. Yeah. Exclusivo? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just haven't smoked so many. You know, I try cigars from other people here and there. Right. But I haven't smoked consistently like other people's. Like today's a rare occasion. Right. This FQ's, uh, the proper smoking really nice. Yeah. Um, I'm just, you know, always smoking and quality control testing. Cause, right. So I can't, I haven't really given a good assessment of smoking a lot of other people's smokes. Right. Because I really smoke them. But, you know, one of the best cigars I ever smoked in my life, uh-huh. I'll give you that, was... Uh, Puros Indios number two, but that was in 1996. <laughs> that cigar was one of the most phenomenal cigars in just that year, right? Because that year, there's a whole story of just craziness that happened after that. But that year, Tom Selleck, um, cigar aficionado, was rated with uh, Opus X number two, Monte Cristo number two. Um, cigar was phenomenal. It was made by Rolando Reyes Sr. That year, there was an article in the back of Cigar Aficionado that year that kind of made me want to become a cigar smoker. Mm-hmm. It was just this, uh, his factory is in Honduras. So the article, you know, started the, the roosters crowing in the morning and, the oh, you shit. know, it described the whole. And once I read that, I was like, man, that's awesome. I want to. And he literally spent his nights reviewing every cigar. He didn't review production during the day. He was up all night reviewing the production from that day. But. That cigar was phenomenal. Phenomenal. I think I got two in my humidor still. How? From 96. And I got four Opus X from from 96. To smoke them. What are you doing with your life? I mean, I'm so confused. Mikey's a big uh, believer in smoke it now. Yeah, I don't keep any. He doesn't like to hold on to stuff. If you saw my humidor, you'd freak out. I'd just start smoking (laughs) shit is what would happen. I know. That would be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. We should hang out. <laughs> you gotta come up to Connecticut for that. For sure. Well, yeah. I mean, but my luck is I'd show up there and you wouldn't be around. Like, yeah, no, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna I'd be, be there. sure not to be around. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to talk to David and get the hookup. Yeah, I gotta keep an eye on that guy. <laughs> well, you know, thank you very much for coming out on and uh, and joining us on the show. Uh, like I said before, I really truly feel that you are one of the greatest blenders of my generation for sure. Appreciate um, that. You're uh, you're insane in your own 
fashion and I I'm think definitely that's insane that's what kind of makes you a genius in this industry so that's pretty but much think when you sit down and talk to Nick everything just sounds so much better I know it's all the history you give with the cigars yeah. and all the information I can't remember what I was doing in 96 let alone what cigar I smoked but R- yeah everything with him has so much background and so much history with right him. yeah that's what we try to you know I try to do with you know foundation is if you look at it you know there's so much I love history so b- being able to now do brands and put you know you know I for God's sakes I, I launched a cigar that nobody could pronounce which right <laughs> which is but you know it's it's real you know i try i'm i'm just doing what i love and putting my all into it and you can tell let's just say you yeah, can tell when you talk shows. and i hope people respond so it's great i appreciate it you know and the support and uh you know let's hang out let's hang out all right cool man let's well that's, that's all we got so uh thank you everybody oh wait by the way just so oh, you know yeah. um, don't forget to leave us some feedback on the podcast we would like to hear what you have to say and how we can make things better for you and uh, please tell your friends about us. Um, you know, the more people that know, the more people that want to be educated in the cigar industry, I think the better this industry will be as a whole. So, uh, Nick, you want to tell everybody how to get a hold of you through social media? Yeah. yeah, so you can find me at Nick, N-I-C-K-R, the letter R, Agua, A-G-U-A. That's my social media name, or you can find Foundation Cigars. I'm an Instagram fanatic, so that's kind of where you find me. But FoundationCigars.com, Nick R. Agua. Great. Or Mel Illo. Or Mel Which I like now because that's Ill is pretty cool. You gotta slow it down. Yeah. 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 Mel Illo. All right, cool, man. That's it. That's it. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. That's it. Show's over. Time for everybody to get back to work. The dream is free, but the hustle's sold separately. We're out. Every day I'm hustling, 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 hustling. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, hustling real hard, hustling real hard. Hustling, 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 hustling